The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Number 22 is our text here this morning. Over the last several weeks, we've been going through a series that we've simply entitled Shattered, Surviving in a Broken World. Uh, How is it that the believer is supposed to respond when suffering, when trials, when pain enters into our existence? And and that's a little bit of what this particular series is attempting uh, to address. Our theme text for this series has been Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 20, where the Bible tells us that the life we live, that's the life we live in the flesh, it's not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so when we're engaging trials, when we're faced with difficulties and hardships, one of the ways we know whether or not we're engaging it, we're facing it through the Spirit of Christ and through the grace of God is how we respond when those trials hit us. Maybe there's somebody who would be sitting here and you'd be saying, well, what's the right way to respond? How do I know if I'm facing these things properly? Well, if it is Christ's Spirit that's supposed to be living through us, then if we are engaging these problems and these trials properly, it's going to look a whole lot like it looked when Jesus faced these trials, obstacles, and difficulties. Today we're specifically going to focus on the subject of anxiety. And I want to speak on the subject of shattered by anxiety. Inside your service program, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along through the message. I hope it will be a help to you as we study the Word of God together here this morning. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand here this morning uh, as we read our text. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 22. We're going to begin in verse number 37. Uh, We'll skip verse 38 and make our way through verse number 42 for sake of time. I'm going to take a little bit of time to uh, kind of give you what's going on as we read through it. And so we'll begin in Luke 22. The Bible says in Luke 22, beginning in verse 37, For I say unto you... Now, of course, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, uh, these words will be in red. This is the words of Jesus Christ speaking. He says, For I say unto you that this, that is written... You say, what do you mean? What is Jesus talking to? This that is written. He's talking about that which was written in the prophecies, or that which was written by the prophets here, must be accomplished in me. Notice the next phrase... And he was reckoned among the transgressors, or he was reckoned among as a, as a criminal. People saw him as a criminal. That little statement in the middle of verse number 37 is an exact quotation out of Isaiah chapter number 53. So the prophet Isaiah literally made this statement. He said the one who will be the Messiah, he's going to be viewed as a criminal. He's going to be viewed as one of these transgressors. And then Jesus goes on to say at the end of verse 37... For the things concerning me have an end. He he was basically saying, hey, what the prophets foretold about, that the prophecy spoke of regarding a Messiah, one that would come to be the Savior, he says this is being completed now. This is taking place, verse 38. And they said, the disciples, 
Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Verse 39. And he came out and went as he was wont. Now, we don't often use a lot of these words. These are somewhat ancient, archaic words of sorts. Uh, But basically what he's saying is he went as he was accustomed to. He went as he usually did. So this was something that he, whatever it is he's about to do, he did it regularly. To the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, or the Mount of Olives, as we're going to see the Garden of Gethsemane in synoptic passages, will tell us that's where it's happening. He said unto them, Jesus says, pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus recognized what was about to happen. Jesus knew what was going to take place in the lives of these disciples. And he says, it's time for us to pray that we not be led into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, so about the distance you could throw a rock. The Bible says, and Jesus kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Say, so what does that mean, this cup? As you read through the Old Testament, the metaphor cup is used to signify several things. On several occasions, the cup signifies the wrath of God. In fact, four times in the Old Testament, the cup, the metaphor, is used to speak of the judgment of God. And so Jesus is sitting here and he realizes that the judgment, the wrath of Almighty God is about to be poured out upon him on the cross of Calvary. Literally, as Jesus died on the cross, he was going to take our judgment, he was going to take our wrath, and he was going to absorb it upon himself. And, and this was often referred to in the Old Testament as the cup. And Jesus says, if thou be willing, Heavenly Father... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This morning I want to speak on the subject of facing anxiety. What do we do when we are up against something that looks like it's just going to tear us apart? What do we do when there's something in our near distant future that looks to just totally destroy us and the facing anxiety that starts to kind of creep in on us? How do we respond? That's what we're going to look at here today as we we just simply speak on facing anxiety. Shall, Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we didn't come here today simply to just go through the motions of religious tradition. But we're not here today because it's just what good people are supposed to do. Lord, we're here today because we recognize we're, we're all sinners. We all fall short and we desperately need your spirit working in us and working through us. We are in desperate need of your rescuing grace. And, and Lord, we, we come into your presence corporately this morning in worship and in singing and in, in reading your word. Lord, we want to abide in you this morning. We, we want to connect with you. And so I pray that today would be a day, Lord, where you work in our hearts where your word speaks, and it's more than just intellectual information, but Lord, it truly is a transformational work that begins to take place in our hearts and lives. 
We pray that you'd bless in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Uh, I was thankful last week, uh, Nick, I appreciate you preaching. And what a, what a blessing that was, just on facing grief and really looking at the pattern of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, it was a blessing. I, I had a few people tell me, man, Pastor, you, you should preach a little bit more like Nick and be short. <laughs> and uh, that people really appreciated that. And I heard from a couple of the teenagers as well that they appreciated the shorter preaching and what a blessing that is. Now, I do have to say, as I was preparing for this week, I, I I want you to be able to experience everything that the Lord would have for you. And I'm feeling led a little bit to take up his time that he didn't use last week. Add it to my time. And we're we're just going to go overtime today, all right? How many of you like it when football goes overtime? It's exciting, right? Okay, we're going to do some overtime preaching. No, I'm just... Some of you are like, oh my, what did I get myself into today? And, uh, and so I, I think that's going to, if it happens, and maybe some of you don't know this, but when preachers preach longer, they get time and a half. Did, did you guys know that? You didn't know that, did you? I was, I was wondering why pastors preach so long. It's, it's the time and a half. No, I'm just, I'm joking. We don't get time and a half for extra long messages. Uh, but uh, I appreciate that, Brother Nick, last week here. I want to give you a definition real quick of anxiety because sometimes it's hard to kind of understand what's happening, but... Suffering is what happens when we experience pain. And we've been talking about this for several weeks. And and some of you have experienced emotional pain. And and others of you have experienced relational pain. And maybe some have experienced physical pain with your health. And so suffering is what happens when we experience pain in our lives. Uh, Last night, my son Landon, we went to a program at uh, my son and daughter's school. And and my daughter Ashlyn and my son Anderson, they were singing some songs. And it was getting a little bit longer for Landon. He's four years old and you could tell that he was just kind of getting tired of the whole program. You could tell he wasn't really into it and he kind of squirms a little bit at four years old and we're still trying to teach him how to uh, be respectful and sit still when things are going on and stuff and you could tell he was suffering. You know, you could just see it. You just saw it in his eyes and his countenance and finally about three-fourths away through this program. Literally, we're on maybe the third row or something. He stands up and with his thumbs, he goes like this, really high in the air, and looking right at Anderson goes... And of course, my wife and I are totally embarrassed, you know, because we're sitting in the front, everybody's looking at us. And you could tell that was his sign, this thing's over, all right? And uh, whether or not you're over, whatever the case may be, this, this thing's done. And he, he was suffering. And suffering is what happens when we experience pain. Anxiety is very different, all right? Anxiety is what happens when we expect pain. Anxiety is what happens when we anticipate pain. Have you ever been there before? Expecting or anticipating pain, you knew it was coming. And sometimes it's just a figment of our imaginations. I've been there before where I worried about something and I stewed about something and then it never happened, all right? And I feel a little stupid when that happens. And, and sometimes the anxiety is brought about by, by very real circumstances. Something's going to happen. Something's going to take place. It's not a figment of our imagination. We've not just made it up, it's happening. And all of a sudden, the anxiety starts to come in. Maybe for some of us, you, you get that phone call from the doctor and they begin to tell you, hey, the next six months is going to be rough. And you, you know what's coming. And you're not feeling the pain yet. But the anxiety begins to creep in because you know what lies ahead. And maybe a memo goes out from your office and 
the memo says not all of you are going to have your job in, in six months. And the pain hasn't happened yet. The suffering hasn't happened yet. But you know it's coming. And the anxiety begins to just creep in. You ever been there before? Face to face with anxiety. The, the looming cloud that something bad's brewing. And that's the difference between suffering and anxiety. You say, why, why are you preaching this this morning? What, what, are, what are we seeking to discover today? I simply want to say this to frame our message here this morning. And that, that is simply this. I want to give you an affirmation that I hope you can cling to that will encourage your heart. And that is simply this. By God's grace, victory over anxiety is possible. If you're here today and, and it just seems like you're always anxious, you're always just worried and you're always feeling just the anxiety weighing down on your heart and life, I, I want to declare to you by the grace of God, the power that is yours in the Spirit of Christ, you can overcome worry. You can, by God's grace, overcome anxiety. You can overcome these feelings that try to grip your soul here today. This morning we're going to look at three responses to anxiety that we found right here in our text a moment ago. They are responses that Jesus had and that he wants to manifest through us as we face anxiety. So... Let's just dive right into the text and we're going to allow the Bible to speak for itself. Notice what the scriptures say here in verse number 42. We already gave you the background. Jesus now has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says in verse 42, he says, Father, Father. The first thing I want you to notice here, he says here, Father, if thou be willing. So, Think about this for a moment. Put yourself there. Here's Jesus. Jesus, the miracle worker. Here's Jesus, this one with incredible strength and incredible power. Here's Jesus, the very Son of God. And here we find Jesus had moments where he was tempted with anxieties. We, we find Jesus really facing an anxiety, facing here, it's, it's looming upon him. And, and the first thing he does, I want you to see, is he goes to his heavenly father. He enters into the presence of God. And I want to say to you here today, if you're a child of God, then you have a heavenly father who loves you. If you're a child of God, you have a heavenly father that adores you, who cares for you, and who has the strength, he has the power to help you overcome that looming anxiety that seeks to literally paralyze your very soul. So here we see Jesus in the face of anxiety facing it or entering into the presence of his heavenly father which leads us here to our first response that his spirit wants to have through us when anxiety begins to loom above us. And that is simply this. We see here an, a, the, the, Jesus Christ approaching the father First thing he does is he enters in to the presence of his heavenly father. 
And, and you say, how, how do we approach our Heavenly Father? We approach Him with a heart of humility. We approach Him by listening to Him through His Word. We approach Him by meditating on Him with our minds. We approach Him by talking to Him with our lips. We approach Him by unloading our cares upon Him. We approach Him by singing praises to Him. There are many ways the Bible says we can approach Him by giving thanksgiving and gratitude to His name. But the first thing we see happening is Jesus, even as God, even as a miracle worker, even as a one who is all powerful, and here he is approaching God, approaching the Father. I would hope that would be our response when we face anxiety. Uh, James chapter number 4 and verse number 8 says it this way Draw nigh to God, notice the promise, and he will draw nigh near to you. Some of you may or may not be familiar with a lady by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. A book was written many years ago entitled The Hiding Place. And Corrie was a lady who had to experience the atrocities of a Nazi concentration camp. She was there for many, many years and, and in her book she describes the horrific experiences that she had to endure there at the hands of the Nazis and it was just inhumane, it was awful, it was terrible. And yet what I found so interesting as I read her, really her biography of sorts was the fact that even in the midst of these horrible circumstances, even in the midst of these horrible, horrible pain, she had an ability to reframe her circumstances. To see things through a lens which was not normal. She had the ability to view these awful, awful things through the lens of God's character and through the lens of God's Word. In her diary, she wrote this, Look within... And be depressed. You ever been there? You look, hey, do I have what it takes? And it just depresses you. She said, look without and be distressed. If you start looking at the circumstances and the trials and the difficulties and the obstacles, it's just going to lead to distress. But she said, look to God and be at rest. The way to get victory over the looming anxiety that seeks to paralyze your soul is not to look within and see what kind of power you can come up with and what kind of strength you can conjure up. Because you'll, you'll let yourself down every time and I'll let myself down every time. And, and yet if we look to circumstances and we look to challenges and obstacles, oh, we're going to be distressed and anguished. And yet she says, oh, look to God and just be at rest. And that's where peace comes from. That's where rest in the midst of the storm comes from. By keeping our heart fixed on God. To keep our minds anchored to Him. To keep our focus on Him. You see, it's one thing for you and I to make a statement like the one we just read a moment ago. It's one thing for us to say, hey, don't look within, don't, don't look around you. Just look to God and, and He'll take care of things. It'd be one thing if I stood up here and said that to you. But it's an entirely different thing when a woman who experienced years of pain and suffering in a Nazi concentration camp, and she says that, that's saying something. It's a reality that was tested through the fires of adversity. 
and came out to be real. Here Jesus, as He's faced with this looming anxiety, He's about to go to the cross. He's about to absorb the cup of God's wrath and God's judgment on our behalf. He's going to take our punishment for us. And He's just hours away from experiencing that and the looming anxiety that's trying to crush His soul and paralyze Him is is looming. And the first thing He wants to do is He goes and approaches His Heavenly Father. He runs to His Heavenly Father. Here's my question for you. What's the first thing you run to when anxiety begins to loom? What's the first thing you you move toward? Depending on your personality, it'll be many different things. Some of them are not inherently bad, but they become replacements for what God wants us to run to, and that's Himself. Some things can be downright self-destructive. It's sad to see a person with looming anxiety and the only way they know how to deal with it is by drowning their anxieties in alcohol. (sighs) Going to some drug just so they can escape the anxiety and the pain. And I understand the hurts are deep. And I understand the pain is overwhelming. But God says, I've got something better for you. I've got something for you that's not self-destructive. I've got something for you that won't make it worse in the long run. Others of us, we run to more socially acceptable things. We run to the mall pull out the American Express and shop our anxieties away. (laughs) Because for that moment when we're getting the deals and shopping, it just makes us feel better. Nothing intrinsically wrong maybe with shopping in its place. But when it becomes a replacement for running to God, when it's what you run to so you can feel better rather than running to the feet of Jesus and getting your peace and your comfort from Him, that's where it crosses the line. What do you run to? Here even the Son of God, Jesus, ran to the presence of His Heavenly Father. The first thing He wanted to do was approach Him. The first place He wanted to go was to God. My friend, victory over anxiety is possible. And that victory is found not in the bottle That victory is not found in just escaping reality in some this area or that area. The victory is found in the presence of God. So run to His feet. Run to His presence. Because it is is in His presence that you'll find peace. It is in His presence that you'll find the strength for joy. It's in Him that you'll find what your soul so desperately longs for. So how does the Spirit of God want to respond through us during our seasons of looming anxiety? What is this? When when we're being led of His Spirit, when it truly is Christ in me, what's that going to look like? First thing it's going to do, it's going to, it's going to force you to run to His presence. That's one of the ways you know if you're being led of God's Spirit. If, if Christ really is in control, is if you've yielded, he's going, to, he's going to take you to the presence of His Father, recognizing that it is in the presence of the Father is your only hope. It's only because of His rescuing grace that can fix you where you need to be fixed. 
You need more than just circumstantial fixing. Your heart needs to be changed. And that's what God has to offer. Approach the Heavenly Father. That's what, that's what His Spirit will lead us to do. To approach our Heavenly Father. What do you run to first when anxiety begins to loom? Notice verse number 41. I want you to see something else here. We're going to keep moving on through this. Verse 41. And Jesus was withdrawn from them, the disciples, about a stone's cast. I don't know exactly how far that is. I was <laughs> joking with some of the staff this week. I said, I should get a bunch of rocks up here and just start throwing them, you know, and see, you know, that way I get a visual idea. And somebody's like, what if it hits somebody? Okay, bad idea. And sometimes pastors have bad ideas. In fact, lots of times they do. And that was one of those. So I don't know exactly how far this is. If you're a bigger guy, then maybe this is further. I, but roughly about that distance. And here he goes out and and the Bible says, and kneeled down and prayed. He kneeled down and he prayed. Notice verse 42 saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Here we see as he approaches his heavenly Father, as he comes into his presence, you say, what does he do? He begins to pray. I I want to declare to you that we have a Heavenly Father who wants us to pray. We have a God that wants us to talk to Him. We have a God that wants to hear us. We have a God in Heaven, not only who can hear, who wants to hear, but we have a God who can answer our prayers. Man, that's pretty awesome. That we have a God doesn't just listen, but a God who can actually do something about what we bring to Him. That's pretty exciting. That's pretty awesome there. And so we see we have a God who answers prayer. So here we see Jesus in the face of anxiety. He's approaching the cross, which reveals the second response that His Spirit wants to have through us when we're yielded to Him, when we're dealing with anxiety, and that is this. That is simply abide in prayer. Yes, approach the Father. But when we come into His presence rather than complaining, and when we come into His presence rather than just griping, to come into His presence and just appeal with a spirit of humility, a spirit that's yielded to His control and His sovereignty. Abide in prayer. Can I, can I say this? It's okay to go to God and tell Him about what you're going through. I've heard people say before, well, Pastor, I just don't know how to pray. It's really not that complicated. It's just talking. There's no special words you have to use. There's no religious language. You say, Pastor, would you give me a prayer to memorize? Just like you would talk with a dear friend, that is how your Heavenly Father wants you to talk to Him. How many of you parents love when your children, out of their own accord, want to spend time with you? you, Some of you have been parents longer than I have, but I'm telling you what, one of of the things about parenting that's about cooler than anything else is when one of my kids, seven or eight or nine-year-old, just like actually want to talk to their dad. I mean, that's like the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, this is better than Christmas. 
My kids want to talk to me. How awesome is that? They, they actually want to be with me. They actually want me to hear them. If we as physical parents desire to hear from our children, can't you imagine how much more a perfectly loving Heavenly Father desires to hear from you and desires to spend time with you? He loves you. He adores you. He cares for you as one of His children and He invites you into His presence. He invites you to cry out to Him. Tell Him what you're going through. Tell Him what you're experiencing. Give it to Him. We have a lot of people running around the world today and they're rather than taking their grief to God rather than casting their care upon the Lord they'll go to this person gossip about it for a while they'll go to that person and gripe about it for a while rather than just taking it to their heavenly father giving it to the one who can actually do something about it why is it that it's often our last response I heard the funny story uh, this week about a, a boat. It was in the middle of the ocean. It was a joke of sorts. And the, the boat's about to sink. And there's a bunch of fishermen on this particular boat. And the storms are all around. And the waves are crashing against the boat. And these people are not knowing what to do. And, and finally the captain stands up and he says, Does anybody here know how to pray? And one very pious gentleman stood up and said, Yes, I know how to pray. And the captain looked at him and he said, oh, that, that good. He said, because we're one life that's short. <laughs> so we'll take them and you pray. <laughs> so is that a true story? I don't think so, but I guess the point is, isn't it funny how sometimes we wait until like our lives are shipwrecked before we approach the Father? Before we go to him in prayer. And one of the things I love about the example of Jesus Christ is that it was always his knee-jerk reaction. You don't find him gossiping. Really, the spirit of this is not even complaining. As we're going to read in a moment, yes, he he asked the Father for something that the Father was not going to give him, but it's not in a complaining, griping spirit. You see that in the context. If it be thy will... But he just goes to the presence of his heavenly father. I think if there's one thing we're missing in Christianity today is the fact that Christianity has become just a ritualistic thing. I go to church once a week. I have a Bible on my bookshelf. I say a prayer before my meal. But there's no dynamic, ongoing relationship with the heavenly father. Can I say this? You have a God that loves you. He cares for you. He wants to hear from you. And if I could encourage our church family to be growing in any grace, it would be the grace of just spending time with your Heavenly Father. To corporately come into His presence, not as a last resort, not when our life is shipwrecked, but just daily, moment by moment, spending time talking and singing and meditating on Him. Would you characterize your Christianity as an event? Or it's really just a day-by-day relationship? Talking to Him. Thinking about Him. Listening to Him through His Word. Or is it kind of something you do once a week? And when you're around Christian friends, you got to kind of throw in the little Christianese. Or is it really the very DNA of what you are, 
approaching the Father, abiding in prayer. Uh, notice, notice that little phrase there. In verses uh, number four, 39, it says, He came out and went as he was wont. It's kind of a weird word, wont. W-O-N-T. It's archaic, ancient word. We don't use it much anymore. But it just simply talks about this is something he did as usual. This was something he was accustomed to. See, this was not like a one-time thing for Jesus. This is something he did on a regular basis. This is something he did a lot. And you know what? When Jesus Christ and his spirit is living through you, I'm just going to say this. Going to his presence, spending time in prayer, when the spirit of God is really in control, this is something you're going to do a lot. It's going to be something you're accustomed to. It's going to be something that's usual for you. Because when Jesus Christ is living his life through you, when it's not just you in the flesh kind of doing what you're supposed to do as what you think is a good Christian, but when it's truly you surrendering to the spirit of Christ, surrendering and yielding to letting him live out his life through you, what his spirit is going to do through you is take you to approach the Father. His spirit is regularly going to lead you to a spirit of prayer as we spend time with him. Here's what Philippians chapter number 4 verse 6 says. It admonishes us to be careful. That word careful means anxious. In this context, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So he says rather than being anxious about the circumstances that are looming, rather than getting filled with anxiety because of what you're going through, he says I want you to pray about it and then I want you, I want you to get to a place where you can literally thank God in it. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of the looming anxiety, don't get up from prayer until you can thank God in the midst of that trial, in the midst of your difficulty. Be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Can I encourage you today to pray the hardest when it's hardest to pray? When you just, I don't... Allow the grace of Jesus Christ, surrender and yield to him and allow him to lead you into a place of prayer. Even when your flesh isn't feeling like it. Because it's in that place that the great physician can begin to bring healing to your soul. So how does the spirit of God respond through us? During our seasons of anxiety, he'll, secondly, he'll always lead us to abide in prayer. This is one of the ways we know if we're yielding to the Spirit of God, if Christ truly is living his life through us, we're constantly going to be brought in and we're constantly going to be uh, encouraged to abide in prayer. Now, finally, for our th- third thought, the third response, notice verse number 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Now, notice this. Nevertheless, this is crazy. He says, not my will, but thine be done. This is the spirit of his prayer. And every time we pray, this should be our spirit. God, here's what I'm asking for, but more than anything, I want your will. God, this is what I'm praying about, but more than anything, I want you to know that I trust you. I believe that when you're in control, you work all things together for good. 
Notice carefully Christ's spirit in this. You see, Jesus knew that his heavenly Father was fully trustworthy. Can I remind you of something? You can trust your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father is in complete control. There's a big theological word for this. It's simply sovereignty. You say, what does that mean, sovereignty? It means God is in control. Sometimes we speak of God's providence. We speak of His sovereignty. We speak of His control. Can I say to this to you? You can trust the will of your heavenly Father. You say, well, things didn't go the way I prayed. I asked God for something and, and God didn't do it. Well, guess what? You're in good company because Jesus asked for some things that the Father did not allow to come to pass. Wow. His spirit was God, this. But more than anything, I want your will. I want your plan for my life. Is that your spirit? Is our spirit when we go to God, God, I trust you. God, I know you're in complete control of this entire situation. And whatever you allow to come to pass, I am okay with. There was a book written about 100 years entitled Absolute Surrender by a theologian by the name of Andrew Murray, just an incredible author. And in this particular book, he made this statement. He said, too often... We make our own plans because we think that we know best. How many of you are like me in this? Then we ask God to bless our weak and feeble efforts instead of fully surrendering to His divine plan for our lives. Can I encourage you when you approach your Heavenly Father? When you come to Him in prayer, come with Him with a spirit of humility Come with a spirit of meekness. Don't be afraid to appeal. Don't be afraid to ask. He wants you to. But come with a spirit that says, God, here's what I'm asking. God, here's from my perspective, from my paradigm, from my worldview, this is what I think is best. But God, I want you to know something. That I trust you more than I even trust my own judgment. And God, if in your providence and and in your sovereignty and in your control, God, you choose something different, oh, that we would say to God, so be it. And Jesus was saying, if you want me to drink that cup, the cup of your wrath, the cup of that culmination of all the judgment that is supposed to be poured out on humanity, and you want me to drink that, I'm here. And that needs to be our spirit when we're going through looming anxiety. He, he, God is so powerful. Get this. God is so strong. God is so mighty that he can even take something that's done to you, meant to harm you, meant to destroy you, meant to hurt you, and God is so big, he's so strong, he's so powerful, he can take those circumstances and he can turn them into something that is actually good for you. That's how awesome your God is. That's how great your God is. Can I, can I remind you of something? That God's will is always better than my want. His will is always better than my wants.
thank God. How many of you are glad when God gives you some of your wants? I know I enjoy it. I'm thankful for it. But can I say this? We need to have a spirit that says, God, I'm going to, whatever you allow. And that we would simply trust God, that we would trust him. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're like, you know, well, when, when my, when I was a kid, you know, my mom used to give me chocolate chip cookies and I bit in the chocolate chip cookies. They weren't chocolate chips at all. They were, they were raisins. It's kind of the main reason I have trust issues. And I say this, regardless of what you went through, big or little, you can trust your heavenly father. You can trust him because he is trustworthy, which leads us here to our final thought, and that is simply to accept God's plan. Now, if I can sum this all into one statement, if you get nothing else, I want to get your attention for 10 seconds because I want you to get this. Have you ever thought, this might be hard for some of us to swallow, that maybe your obsession to be in control of everything is actually what's fueling your anxiety and worry? The reason we, I, struggle with worry and anxiety is because I live under the false illusion that I'm in control and I am not. And your obsession with controlling everything around you, you think, well, by controlling it, I'm going to make everything better and by manipulating this and fixing that and fixing those things and controlling my little world that I'm going to make everything. I'm going to tell you what you're doing. You are fueling your anxiety. You're making it worse. We're control freaks. And we think that we're making it better when in reality we're sabotaging our very own soul. It's not our job to control the situation. It's our job to yield to the Spirit of God. And when God says do something, we respond, not because it's going to work, because He said so. And when it works, at least within the realm that we think working is work and, and it makes sense the way we think it should make sense, then praise God for that. But even when it doesn't, yes, you can trust Him. I have found that the main reason I struggle with anxiety and worry and as I counsel with people, the main reason we struggle with anxiety and worry, one reason, we're obsessed with controlling. A spouse, obsessed with controlling our future, obsessed with controlling our children. You have a responsibility to your spouse and you have a responsibility to your children and you have a responsibility that God's going to give you. But can I say it? It's not your responsibility to obsess over controlling the outcome of all those things. That is a dead end road that will destroy your soul every time. Your responsibility is to the leading of the Spirit of God to simply respond when he says respond. You say, well, I've been responding and it's not turning out the way I would want. There you go again. We can trust our Heavenly Father. That's the point of this. He loves you. He cares for you. And His plans might be better than your dreams. I want to say to you today, you can trust God. He's bigger than your difficulties. He's bigger than your 
loneliness. He's bigger than your pains and your hurts and your past and your guilt. You can trust God. You can let go and simply say, God, I'm no longer going to try to control my future or control my spouse or control my family. God, I'm simply here as a vessel to move wherever you lead. And whatever the outcome of that is okay with me because I trust you. It's about having this, this vertical relationship that then bleeds into the horizontal. You can trust him. So how does the Spirit of God respond through us? How do we know when God's Spirit, when Christ is really living His life through us in the face of anxiety? Well, He'll always lead you to approach your Heavenly Father. Do you see that mark when you face anxiety? Do you find yourself running to your Heavenly Father? He'll always lead you to abide in prayer. One of the ways you know if if the Spirit of Christ is, is working through you in those seasons, are you spending time in prayer? Is that what Christ is leading? Because oftentimes if we're not being led of the Spirit, then it's, man, we're trying to fix this and run here and gripe here and gossip here and it's just fleshly and it it just destroys our soul and we get upset and we get anxious and we get irritated and we get stressed out. And the Spirit of Christ will always lead us to yield and accept God's plan, recognizing that He's trustworthy. He is in control. I will say this, to be entirely transparent, this is an area that your pastor struggles with immensely. I preach this not from a platform of expertise, but I preach it as one who is desperately in need of God's rescuing grace in this area. I struggle with this. I struggle with desiring to control this and make this and and regularly the Spirit of God has to smite my heart and say that, that is what's fueling the worry and the anxiety. And slowly God's rescuing grace over the years has brought a healing that only His Spirit can bring. And my heart as a shepherd, my heart as a pastor, is that many of us would experience that. And that we would experience the liberty that is found in simply letting go. There's a freedom, a peace, as we just truly learn to trust the control, providence, and sovereignty of God. So here's the big idea. I'm going to take it away. I'm going to put it on the screen. If you like everything in a nutshell, here it is, all right? One statement. Rest in His sovereignty to calm your anxiety. Rest in it. Rest in the fact He's in control. Rest in the fact that He's trustworthy. Rest in the fact that He is good. Rest in the fact that He loves you and He cares for you. Find yourself resting in that. In so, you'll find a calming of that anxiety in your life. My heart and your heart is at ease knowing that what was meant for me will never miss me. And what misses me was never meant for me. You can trust that. 
Because you have a heavenly father who loves you, who cares for you, and who is for you. You say, well, I'm not doing everything right. Am I just miss this or am I just miss that? Can I just say this? Your responsibility is your relationship with your heavenly father. To walk in his spirit and to be led by his grace. And your heart can be at ease knowing that what was meant for you will never miss you. And what misses was never meant for you in the first place. Rest in that reality. Can you imagine living a life like literally, can you just think about it. Imagine living a life where next time that bill comes in the mail, it doesn't do something to your emotional state. Imagine it. Imagine the next time your boss comes to you with this thing or that thing. It doesn't, it doesn't affect your emotional state like it used to. Imagine a, a world where that's possible. I'm going to say this. In Christ, by His grace, that life can be your future reality. Your emotional state does not have to be dictated by the winds of everybody else's circumstances, attitudes, and the things you go through. Your life can be fixed and anchored to the rock of ages. And rather than having your emotional state here blown here and your emotional state blown there, oh, your emotional state can be fixed in Jesus. No longer anxiety driving you. No longer being pulled along by worry. But resting. Resting in His divine sovereignty. Because you have a big God, victory over anxiety is possible. Not because of you, not because of your circumstances or what you can manipulate, because of your God. Because what your God, because He loves you and He cares for you, because He's big enough and powerful enough and strong enough, because of that victory over anxiety is possible. Not because every one of your circumstances are going to go away. But because He's big enough to fix your heart in the midst of your circumstances. And that, that is the promise that you have in Christ. So here's what I leave you with. What area do you need to give up control? What area for, is it for you? And it's like there's something in you and you're holding on to the illusion that you're in control of it. What is it? Is it your future, your financial state, physical well-being. Any one of us tomorrow could get a phone call from the doctor. And our health, I mean, it's not stable. One of a million things could happen to our finances and wipe out. What area do you need to let go of the illusion of control? Well, I, I know I can control my spouse. I, I've been trying for 30 years and it hasn't worked yet. But I, one of these years, I'm going to get it. You can't. It's illusion. Let it go. And simply say, God, I am an instrument for you to work through. And where you lead, I'll follow. Not my will but thine be done. What area do you need to give up control and just trust God? Shall we pray?